As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're ready to take your game to the next level, who better to lead the way than our own Luke Bogacki? Check out This Is Bracket Racing Elite today. In addition, today's podcast is presented by Racing RVs. Based near Dayton, Ohio, Racing RVs is your source for quality newer used trucks, motorhomes, and trailers. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, make Racing RVs your first call. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. Give all that we got, ride at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. All right, guys. On today's show, we are going to attempt to tackle a topic that, shocker here, we are not experts in. <laughs> the problem, I think, with this particular topic is that I'm not sure there is any such thing as an expert. The topic this week, the commercial vehicle laws, and particularly the new ELD, which is basically stands for Electronic Logbook Mandate, and how this affects us or could potentially affect us as racers. Yeah, so at this point, you're already starting to form your opinion about what the show's about. So, you know, if you're a local racer and or you don't operate a motorhome or a big truck trailer combo, don't tune out right here. You might be thinking this doesn't apply to you, but it very well could. So stay tuned. Stay with us. Yeah, this goes in a lot of different directions. And just I know the three of us, as we've got Mark on the line, Jed and I, just in researching this, this is potentially a far reaching and the problem again is that there are more questions than answers 
And we're going to try, we're going to do our best over the course of the next hour to answer as many of those questions as we can. We've gotten a ton of input and questions about this from a number of racers. So I want to thank each of you guys and gals for contributing to the show and assure you that we will do our best to answer those questions and address those concerns with as much accuracy as possible within the confines of this show. Like I said in the top, we don't have the answers. And the problem with this particular topic is I think if you got 10 quote unquote experts together in a room, I think you're likely to get 10 different opinions, to get 10 different answers. But with that in mind, we have consulted with two of the most knowledgeable and experienced individuals that we could find. So we're going to be joined today by John DeBarlameo, and by Joe Fisher. We'll introduce them a little bit later if you're not familiar with John and Joe and what they do and, and the experience that they have with this. We'll get into that. But before we get them on the line, Big Jed, this is fitting. Like, we should make them the big interview? Oh, absolutely. This is uh, definitely the perfect time to make them the big interview. And Luke, I spent a little time talking to some guys at the Practice Tree event about what we were going to discuss in this week's show. And it was amazing to me how much interest they've been hearing kind of the same things everybody has and had a ton of interest. And they were definitely anticipating, eagerly anticipating what we talk about here on the show. So great subject and look forward to having uh, John and Joe on to discuss it with us. Yeah, hopefully we can shed some light on things. So without further ado, here come John DeBartolomeo and Joe Fisher. They are this week's Big Interview. It's time for The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, guys, as promised, uh, we've got our two uh, experts in the field here that we're going to talk to, John DeBartolomeo and Joe Fisher tell you a little bit about these guys john d he's a legend in the sport of drag racing first as a racer where he has been a consistent winner for the better part of four decades john was the winner of the first ever nhra et finals back in 1976 and is considered one of the founding fathers of the super gas category he's still active and successful behind the wheel today in recent years he has uh, become an accomplished racing journalist and photographer and his work has appeared in seemingly every major racing publication he's currently the editor and director of drag racing edge we also have joe fisher joe is a lifetime racer competing in most recognizably top dragster although he has enjoyed success in super comp super gas top sportsman and various bracket categories joe is the owner of racing rvs which is arguably the most prominent rv dealership in sportsman drag racing he's a longtime sponsor of the sportsman drag racing podcast Welcome both John DeBartolomeo and Joe Fisher. Guys, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks a lot, Jed. Yeah, I'm, Jed, I'm glad that you handled that, Reed. You're the one that got to call Johnny D a legend. I got in trouble for that <laughs> on Twitter. I, I got called out pretty good for that. So. That's, uh, yeah, four decades. Wow. I'm <laughs> now. Yeah, we, we might should have edited that. <laughs> we do appreciate your time, guys. It's, uh, it's a very important subject to the folks that love what we love. And I know you guys are going to shed some light on uh, what the rules are and what they aren't here in just the next little while. Yeah, we're going to try to go about this kind of roundtable style and, and we'll do our best not to talk over you guys. We, we obviously have you on because we want your insight more than sharing our own. But between Jed, Mark, myself, we've done a little bit of research trying to prepare the not only prepare for the show, but trying to uh, make sure that, that we're in line with the laws and doing everything the right way ourselves. And it's such a vague topic that 
so few people understand, and I don't know that we're necessarily going to have all the answers. I, I kind of went over that in the show preview, but here's the basis of it, okay? It is at least my understanding that the laws pertaining to the types of vehicles considered commercial and therefore the kind of driving that requires a CDL, a commercial driver's license, have not changed in recent years. What has changed as of January 1st, 2018, is the mandate of an electronic logbook on all commercial vehicles. And for those of you not familiar with what a logbook is to begin with, all commercial drivers are required to keep a log. It's always been a paper log in the past basically detailing, among other things, when they drive and how long they drive. There are limits to that for obvious reasons. Now, this new mandate requires that that be done electronically so that there's no fudging the system, so to speak. But that mandate, while again not changing any of the laws currently in place, has seemingly at least increased the awareness of what is or is not a commercial vehicle, not only among racers, and others who tow, often with with large rigs, but um, seemingly at least among law enforcement. Briefly, I'll I'll just review an article from the Protect the Harvest website. And again, this is in the verbiage of this, it references directly horse trailers, but for most of what they're talking about, it, it applies directly to us as racers. And Mark will include a link to this in the show notes on the Facebook page for this episode. But to briefly review that article, like basically, technically, I would say 99% of racers are by the book operating a commercial vehicle. Like what that column basically outlines is you are operating a commercial vehicle if you are A, writing off your truck or trailer as a business loss or expense on your tax returns, B, have sponsors within your racing of basically any level and or C, have one money competing with the race cars that you're towing. Again, I think that technically includes just about everyone listening to this podcast. So as a result, the majority of those racers do technically need a CDL. There are some provisions where you could operate a commercial vehicle without a CDL, but the way, again, the letter of the law reads is that if you have a gross combined weight rating of 26,001 pounds, basically anything over 26,000 pounds, you need a CDL. So even like a dually and an enclosed trailer, if your dually is rated at 10,000 pounds and your trailer has a GVW of 16,000 pounds or anything over that, you would be over that limit. And I think to take that a step further, any towed vehicle, so any trailer with a GVW over 10,000 pounds is technically required to have a CDL, assuming that it is being operated commercially, which as we just covered, I would say most tracers technically are. But I guess the question is, if that is enforced by the rule, what happens if you were to get pulled over without a CDO operating what is basically considered a commercial vehicle. Yeah. So John, per one of your columns, why tickets were issued, you know, where size violated the law and or the vehicle was determined commercial by authorities. So in your experience and research, what happens when you're pulled over, you know, without the CDL and, and just what's the process when you're getting pulled over for a violation like this or potential violation? First of all, the minute you get pulled over, the officer 
any officer, whether he's pulling you over in, in your car or your truck, whatever, they go through something that they like to entitle or they like to call a driver interview. And they ask a bunch of questions and so on and so forth. We've all been asked these questions. How that interview goes kind of determines where they're going to go with this whole thing. As far as the CDL and the DOT laws and so on and so forth, as Luke mentioned, probably everybody is illegal in some respects or another. However, when you get pulled over, forgetting the fact that you're going to get a, a ticket for something or you can get a ticket for something, there's really probably only two things that will really cost you time and maybe even money. And, and one is not having a CDL. You're going to get part if the officer decides that you're driving needs to be driven by someone with a CDL and you don't have one, you're going to get parked on the side of the road, which means maybe you're not going to make the race that you're hoping to get to, or you're trying to get to, or you're not going to make it home in time, whatever. You're going to have to find somebody who can drive it that does have a CDL. The second thing that he can park you for is not having a logbook. Or without a logbook, he has no idea how many hours you've been driving. The ELV, the electronic logging, there are exemptions to that rule. Not everyone needs to have it. First of all, if you're driving less than, I think it's 100 miles in a day, you need to have a log. Also, if you drive less than, and I believe it's eight days in the course of a 30-day period, you can still use the paper log. From what I understand, the ELDs went into effect December 18th or December 19th of last year. They're giving these commercial drivers up until, I think, April 1st, to comply. In other words, if you don't, if you're still on a paper logbook up to April 1st, you'll be okay. But as of April 1st, or as I know, the shoe is dropping and you got to have it. But again, you know, if you look at the exemption and think about the eight days in a 30-day period, most racers are probably going to fall in that in that category. So really, I mean, other than getting a ticket or getting a fine, and you can get a fine for anything. I mean, if you, you know, according to DOT, you need to have triangles, safety triangles. You need to have fire extinguishers, so on and so forth. Probably a whole host of other things that, that they can fine you for. Other than getting the fine, two things that they could park you on the side of the road for are not having a CDL and not keeping a logbook. I thought you summed it up best in the opening line of one of your columns, John, that I, that I read in researching this, and that basically the stipulations for what is and isn't a commercial vehicle like those are i guess fairly black and white but the ramifications and the way that it's enforced are in your own words clear as mud like there's so much room for interpretation and i think in a way that all or most racers could relate to this like i relate getting pulled over with a race rig to say, and I know that it's not quite apples to apples, but I think you can follow me here. I would relate that to going to tech at the U.S. Nationals, okay? Because when you go to tech, depending on who you get as the tech guy and their mood, like they could probably find something wrong with every car that is trying to tech at Indy. Just like the police officer or DO2 enforcement official could find something wrong with every vehicle on the highway. It's so it's very random as to what you're going to get, what they're going to pick on, so to speak, what they're going to pick out and try to 
enforce or, or mandate or like you just don't know what you're going to get. And I know we've all heard the horror stories. I know, Joe, in particular, like you have a personal experience or maybe not you personally, but somebody with your rigs or a friend of yours. Like, can you tell us a little bit about that experience and kind of what you guys went through and maybe what you learned from it? Sure. And again, I've been part of some of the similar stuff that John's been through. We, we've been through many roundtable discussions with DOT, state DOT guys, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio. I've had the opportunity to sit down with some of the big guys up in, in RVIA and up in Elkhart there with some of the monster manufacturers, the guys that build tens of thousands of coaches a year. And this has literally been something that's been talked about, obviously. I mean, I think most of my life, but way before I was even in this business. And with I get the call, obviously being in the business that sells motorhomes and, and trailers, I get the call daily almost of what's the legal limit? What's the legal limit in my state? What can I do? What's right or wrong? And after talking to over 12 individual DOT guys, and two of them were actually the, the, the head guys in the state, I, I, I apologize, I forget their titles, but literally, if you ask every one of them the same question, and we tried this at six of them at one of our meetings, every one of them gave you a different answer for what was legal. Two of them actually came up to us and, and, well, not came up to us, but talked to us about the fact that truly anybody, even with like a landscape trailer and a pickup truck, not a dually, not a 2,500, just a 1,500 and a single axle little trailer behind it is technically commercial. And they truly said to us, every one of them, they don't know how to make the law effective for all of us. And like my personal situations, I've had two in my life. I've been towing myself for uh, 30 years now. We've been all around the country like you guys have been. We've logged, I don't even know, probably well over 2 million miles. And I've had two situations ever. The first was I was driving myself. This is about 10 years ago. I'm driving to a race. And of course, most of these things happen because something happened in front of it. I was speeding. So he had the right to pull me over and then instantly started giving me a hard time before I could even say hello and very aggressive and in tone. And, and I really thought I, I literally, he said, just follow me. And I had to turn around and follow him to the, the next rest area. Well, I see there's six different DOT guys there and their cruisers. And they've got, I don't even know, 10 or 15 guys pulled over. And I called my wife as I pulled in the stop. I said, get the bail money ready. Cause I really thought for sure I'm going to jail. They're towing the stuff and we need to figure out how to get it out loud. And the long story short is touching again on what you guys are talking about. Everything we do is in a gray area of legal or unlegal. He's like, do you have fuel in the trailer? I'm like, yes. Well, you're only allowed to have, I think, I can't remember what it is, five or 10 gallons of fuel. You know, do you have stickers in the car? Are you getting paid? All these things that we get asked all the time. And I was going back to what John said in the interview, I was yes, sir, no, sir. And I was honest. And after about an hour of time, he came back to the trailer once or twice, uh, asked some more questions. He came up to me and he said, Joe, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm like, what's that? He's like, well, first I'm giving you a ticket for speeding. I said, yeah, well, no shit. And he said, but you've been so honest and helpful to me that I'm going to tell you the truth. We cannot find a black and white reason that you did anything illegal. As far as towing, as far as anything with the race cars, he's like, is there some gray stuff we could say? Absolutely. He said, he said, but what I want to tell you, because I was, I was almost too honest. I, I actually told him I was in the business and I was going to race, but this, I told him it was my personal rig, my personal cars and all that. And he said, because you're in this business, you are more responsible or uh, more tendency to have that DOT and the CDL. He said, but if you told me that you were taking your own personal motorhome, one not for sale, your own personal trailer, one not for sale, 
and just go into the race yourself, which is what you're doing, right? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, okay, then you're legal. So it was a very humbling, comical, crazy situation there where I'm sitting there for literally an hour thinking, all right, this is going to be bad. I'm going to have big fines, all this stuff. And I had one of the top guys in the state come over to me and say, listen, you're still in that gray area. Uh, again, going back to John's mud situation. So I literally got a uh, ticket for speeding and they let me go and told me I was legal. So all that did truly was confuse me. About eight years later, one of my guys was out driving on the West Coast, bringing a car back. And it now at the point where I had a sticker on the trailer for the company, of course. And I know I'm smart enough to know, and I've been in this business long enough. I've definitely crossed the gray line there that if I've got the sticker on the, on the trailer and I'm advertising my own company, my guy needs to be certified. And so we get pulled over, he gets pulled over and he literally, we had the, the guy who was like, I can't remember again, their titles, but he was like second in charge for the state for state inspections and DOT. He spent six hours with us. Three hours was on the computer and calling the office and three hours was going back and forth, measuring, talking, learning. And he came back basically with the same situation, except for obviously I had crossed the line with the sticker. He said, Joe, if you don't have that sticker on the trailer, there's nothing I could do to you right now. He said, but because you have the sticker on the trailer, and of course he's talking to my guy, it wasn't me, I wasn't there at this one. He said, because you have that sticker on the trailer, you have definitely crossed the line. He's like, two things could save you right here. He said, if your driver had a CDL, or if you had just had your driver buy this, the overlength permit for our state for your trip going through the state. And I'm like, great. I said, I didn't know that. And he said, I don't expect you to know that. You're from Ohio. We're in Arizona. This was in Arizona. So again, I learned a lot in that situation. He did give us a little bit of a hard time. He gave me warnings. But again, he was truly overall a nice guy. At, at first, he was very aggressive, but ended up being a very nice guy and told me again that the same thing, basically, the first officer told us there needs to be a nationwide law. And I agree. From my own experiences, my whole life towing, I think that these toter homes and, and somewhat the motor homes are about the safest way you can tow. And I also know, too, from my own experience that the dualies and the fifth wheels get hit on a lot more and get a lot more of a hard time on the scales, on the length and all that, that than the motor homes ever do. Yes, but that's, that's my experience. Good information. I mean, I think what Joe went through there is is exactly what you need to do. I mean, I think there's two things that racers should be doing. Number one is getting a CDL. Getting a CDL is not that hard. You take a, a, a written test on a uh, in our state, my state of Pennsylvania anyway, you take it on a computer at a DMV office and then you schedule and you get a driving test and, and that's the end of it. And, and I think that if anybody's been driving their rigs long enough that they know how to drive these things. So getting the CDL is not an issue. The second thing is, Yes, sir. No, sir. Be very nice. You know, I've been pulled over, I don't know, probably a half a dozen times over the years. And and probably the only time that I I only got one ticket, I got an overlaying ticket. And, and that was probably my own fault in that the officer didn't literally, but I mean, he pushed me a little bit. I pushed back. He pushed. I, we got into a shouting match. And if my son hadn't been with me that night, I probably would have been in jail. But and so I got the ticket. The other times I've been pulled over, it's almost like Joe said. I mean, you know, if you're honest with them, they're going to be honest with you. It's, this is a very gray area we're getting into. The other thing that I, I want to bring up is that I really, truly don't believe that we're being pulled over any more than what we were 10, 20, 30 years ago. 
I think the biggest problem we have is this thing called the Internet, which we're on right now. I mean, once somebody gets pulled over, by the way, it's on social media someplace. So yeah. everybody thinks it's happening so many more times than what it has in the past. And I just don't believe that's true. Yeah, good point, John. The, the awareness is much higher. John, you know, obviously we license our vehicles based on the weight and what we potentially will be hauling. Does the licensing of your vehicle have any relevance? And second part to that, we see not for hire on these vehicles. And that's what you've been told for years. Put not for hire and they won't even bother you. What about that? Well, first thing is not for hire doesn't really mean anything. An officer still can pull you over. It's putting a not for hire sticker on the side of your truck to me is a waste of whatever it costs you to have that sticker made. The second thing is licensing licensing doesn't matter it can be registered as an rv you know one of the problems that i run into and i've done a i think a fair amount of research on this thing is i would like to go to someone and tell them a permit company or a licensing company or even a dot tell me what do i need to do to get legal i want to know step by step and i've, and I've thought what a great story it would be to just listen this is how you do it if i came to you or you came to me and, and I asked, how do I start racing? What do I need to do to start racing? You're going to tell me, well, you know, you need, you need this, you need, you know, seat belts and you need this and that. It's all very simple. It is not simple with this, this problem that we're going through with licensing. And that's a situation. Again, we've asked 12 different guys the same question and every one of them interpret the law or read the law differently. And then you multiply that by the 48 states we're traveling in. So there's a different interpretation, literally almost every second or every minute. And, and I'm the same way with you, John. I've said to these guys, I said, just tell us so I can tell my customers, so I can educate the people I know around me, what are we doing that's right or wrong? And again, they, 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 uh, uh, they sort of laugh at you like, we truly don't know exactly what to tell you. And going back to the, the big RV deal up there with those guys, we've worked, I'm part of a small group that's, we've been working with lobbyists to try and get a length law pass, whether it's 85 feet, 90 feet, 100 feet, whatever the, the, the distance is. And w- what they're trying to do is just get either a different plate that you have to pay a little more money for, because unfortunately, for the most part, we all know it comes back to money for the government, at least. So, Or uh, just a different permit that you buy every year. And maybe you have to pass, like you said, a CDL test or some type of test like that to attain this tournament. But if they would just say, hey, racers or travelers or horse people or car people or whatever you're doing, it's two hundred fifty dollars more, and you got to get these two things. I don't think any one of us would ever say, "Oh, we're not going to do that." No, no, neither one of us would. Uh, it, it's very simple. And, and as I said to you, you know, I was on the phone on Friday with a registration service, a permit service, and I specifically asked them. And, and it's a permit service service that uh, does the licensing and permits for a lot of the the the, 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 the race rigs, the, the big tractor trailers. They do it for John Forrest. They do. They do it for a bunch of other companies. And I said to her, I said, what do I need to do? And she said, well, all they do is licensing and permits. So they would register your vehicle and they would get you whatever permits you need for whatever state you're going to be traveling through. The problem I have is that in the state of Pennsylvania, I mean, my my motorhome, my my conversion truck, whatever you want to call it, which is a freight liner, which is a, you know, a regular truck. It's registered as an RV. To register it as an RV in the state of Pennsylvania is, I don't know, $80, $90 a year, 100 bucks a year, whatever it is. 
to get it registered as a commercial vehicle. Now we're looking at twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a year. So there's a big disparity. And as far as somebody telling me what do I need to do and I don't mind spending the money, there comes a problem there. And then now all of a sudden, if you put commercial plates on it, you need commercial insurance. So that goes up. So it really I don't even know what to tell people anymore. I had a phone call today from a (laughs) racer who is also in the landscaping business and he doesn't have CDL. He's a small landscaper. But I said to him, I said, you know, you could have a problem in your business. I said, for you, the least you should be doing is get yourself a CDL. Not that hard to do. I got pulled over a couple of years ago in Pennsylvania, in my home state. And I'm driving down the road. I wasn't speeding, which is kind of ironic because most times I am, I think. But I got pulled. I saw I saw a police, a, a state officer in the, side, in the middle of the highway and a DOT van with him. Drove right on past. And the state officer, I see his lights go on. He pulls me over. He comes up to the truck. He says, let me see your paperwork. I give him my, my license, registration, insurance, so on and so forth. He just walked away. As he walked away. He was in his car. I'm watching in the mirror. He's in his car for a certain amount of time. And all of a sudden, I see the DOT van pull up behind him. Now I'm thinking, this is going to get ugly. This is not good. All of a sudden, the DOT officer gets out of his van, talks to the police officer. The DOT officer, the enforcement officer, walks up to my truck. He asks me, so where are you going? I happen to be going to Bristol. He says, um, what do you got in the trailer? Race cars. Do you own them? Yeah. Um, all right. He said, have a great day. I said, well, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I, I said, you got a couple of minutes? Yeah, sure. And I got out, introduced myself to him, gave him magazines, so on and so forth. And I said, why did I get pulled over? I, I said, I'm just asking because you know that that racers just generally were getting pulled over, or we seem to be anyway. And he said to me, the, the officer who pulled you over had no idea what you had in the trailer. Yeah, you got, no, I have signs on the side of my trailer. He said, yeah, I see the signs, but he doesn't know, you know, if you own it or, or, or you're the owner. He said, but now I get involved. He says, and I look and he says, the truck is registered personally to you. The trailer is registered personally to you. You tell me that the race cars are, are owned by you. So I know where you're going. And he said, and the fact that you have a CDL, he said, tells me that you can drive this truck. He said, that's all I really care about. And he sent me on down the road. It's a very gray area. And, and like Joe said, I mean, I'm sure that if you ask 10 officers, you get 10 different answers. Yeah. So I, I think you guys have already answered this and very recently at that. But the motorsports exemption, uh, how does it work? And are any racers really covered by it? I don't think so. What do you think, Joe? I, I agree. I think, again, it's going to be the same exact thing. It depends on who you ask. One officer might say yes, the next one would say no, and where are we at? We're back at the same square we're at, where they they just made, again, a black and white registration law, plate, whatever it was, for the whole United States. Instead of getting six permits to six different states at all times, it would be simple. Everybody could track it. Everybody make their money on it. And I think all of us, and especially maybe more so in my business, but would always feel comfortable because I know we're in a gray area and I tell customers that I'm very upfront, but at the same time, I'm going to feel bad if they get pulled over in a situation and and I told them they should be all right. (laughs) So it's a fun deal. 
I believe anyway, Joe, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that the RV people, the RV association got an exemption probably years ago, because otherwise you would never be able to sell 40 foot motorhomes to 80 year old and 90 year old retirees. You know, if we could get some sort of an exemption, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I think there's exemptions not only for RVs, but there's exemptions for landscaping and, and whatever. But I don't know what it would take to get that exemption. Yeah, but and, and then though, but every state law is different. Every state has a different law and these rules and regulations. So, how do you, you know, again, I'm I'm by three different states. A lot of racers are by live within thirty miles of three different states. What if all three of them, which I know they all do, in my situation, have different laws? You know, yeah, how do you make all three of them happy? Yeah, and, and yes, the RV industry obviously got a huge exemption maybe before I was even born, somewhat, but you know, multi, multi-billion dollar industry. So I'm sure they have a little bit of push with that. But again, what we've been trying to do, and it's been going on, I, I'm going to say almost five years now, we're just trying to, we've got two lobbyists we've been working with just to get us a black and white, what do we need to do to be safe? You know, we tried working with SEMA because SEMA obviously has a, a, a big presence in Washington, D.C., but they haven't been able to get anywhere either. So no. But, you know, as far as the state, the state problems, I'm not so sure it's the state issue as much as it is once it turns into a commercial thing, it becomes it's a DOT thing and it should be the same state to state. Yeah, but like uh, Nevada has a 100 foot length law. North Carolina has an 80 foot length law. Uh, Michigan, I think, has a 65 foot length law. So if you're under length in those states, no, you're technically right. you're 100 percent legal. Yep. No, you know, so, I mean, length, the length was, you're right. That's yeah. another confusing thing. Okay. If, guys, if we were going to read through the law, like on a very technical basis, like we mentioned, like we discussed earlier, like this stuff doesn't strictly affect toter homes and stackers. Like if you're going to go buy the book, the GVRW of a, of a trailer over 10,000 pounds, like that's most enclosed race haulers, like certainly any triaxle. So I guess to some extent, I, I think we could all agree that having a CDL makes sense. And obviously, John, that's that's what you're a big advocate of. I think in general, that's kind of an intimidating thing. But as you mentioned, there's probably not as much goes into that as we'd like to think. But case in point, and this kind of goes back to the same thing that you guys have talked about to this point, that the laws are different everywhere and it's just difficult to get a straight answer. Joe, I know you know this. When we first got together and I started taking a motorhome across the country, I was scared to death of this scenario. <laughs> so I went to my local DMV or DOT office, whatever the case may be, and said, look, here's what I got. I want to get a CDO. What do I need to do? And probably just talk to the wrong person. But what the woman there told me was, look, not only do you not need a CDO, you can't get one because your vehicle is registered as an RV. Now, in what I did wrong, I think looking back is that's really what I wanted to hear. So I went, cool, and walked away. <laughs> so I and I never pursued it. Like I've gone up and down the, the roads for what the last five, six years with no CDL and not fortunately had any issue. But I guess the, the with problem, a completely wrapped trailer. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. I mean the, the rolling billboard. So again, I think while most of us could agree, like that's the next logical step, even just this what seems like a fairly simple act of obtaining one isn't always that simple. But it, it is, and, and yeah. You what's know, your experience there, John? Because obviously you you licensed in your motorhome, correct? 
Yeah, because I wrote a story about this thing probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe. And I got a hold of the person who's in charge of the DOT or DMV in the state of Pennsylvania. And I originally went there with the motorhome and they said, no, not registered. you can't you can't uh, take the test. And I had gotten a hold of this head of the head guy, whoever he was. And he said to me, that's not true. He said, it's just that the examiner at that wherever you went to take the test in aware. He said, is the vehicle registered over 26,000 pounds? Yes. And it, it, that's what you can take the test. So, it, I mean, it's not sometimes it takes a little bit of finesse pushing. I don't like to use the word pushing, but sometimes it takes a little bit of finesse to, to get your point across that if, if you're taking if you need to if you need a CDL to drive that vehicle, regardless of what it's registered for, that's what you take the test. Sure. This is a this is a real rumor that I heard. I had heard that as of 2020, and I don't know how true, I haven't been able to find out whether this is true or not. As of 2020, the rules are going to change where if it's registered over 26,000 pounds, period, they don't care what it is, RV or not, you need to get a CDL. So I know that there's been some talk, and I think this is state to state, but I've had a number of racers ask or, or recommend getting a like a non-commercial Class A license that at least covers to drive the weight. Again, I think that that's a state to state thing, but do either of you have any experience with that and how it applies? In the state of Pennsylvania, you can get a non-commercial CDL, whatever that is. Talk about it. But that doesn't. It only applies to drive in the state of Pennsylvania. If you go out of the state of Pennsylvania. I see. Yeah, and that's what I run into. You can get like a Class B CDL, I believe they call it. But again, like there's nothing state to state. It's going to change. So whatever you might have legal in your state is going to be illegal in the next state. And since we all travel out of state to race, again, we go back to the mud and, and that's one of the best titles I've ever heard because that is truly the situation we're in. It really is. And, and like I said, I mean, I've, I've tried to research this and, you know, only not only from, from a story standpoint, but from a standpoint of myself, I mean, you know, you know what I got going down the road, Jed, Jed, you know, too. And, and oh, yeah. you pulled over and God knows what's going to happen. Like I said, I still believe it happens. Yeah, yeah so a fix all, an end all, going to fix anything, but I think it, it's a good leg up. So, in research, uh, Mark, our producer, uh, I think, or, or Luke, one come up with, they saw where uh, Matt Driscoll was asking if you're pulled over, can they go into your trailer and just search it at whatever they want to do, or they have to have some kind of documentation or, or what's the rules there? I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess they would probably have to have probable cause for it, but can they do it? Oops, sorry. I, I, sure. You know, I, I guess if you're not hiding it, what are you going to do? You're not hiding anything. You know, a couple of years ago, somebody made mention of the fact that if you get pulled over, tell them you're racing for trophies. Well, the stupid. <laughs> I mean, all you is just, and a guy off even more so yeah i would think they could go into your trailer i mean especially if this is a, a you know a dot 
a potential DOT infraction, I would think they have the right to look at whatever they want to look at. And, and, you know, we talk about putting placards on the sides of your trailers, which I, well, that's kind of a catch-22. I've always looked at placards on the sides of your trailers as a bullseye, so to speak. Mm-hmm. carry fuel, and sometimes a lot of fuel. Years ago, I had three trucks of fuel in my trailer. And there was an officer just there for whatever reason. I mean, he was in uniform. He passed my trailer and he looks in the trailer and he says to me, He said, uh, I see you got three drums of fuel. Would you mind if I take a picture of what you have in the trailer? And I'm like, Oh, God, I don't know how to answer that question. He said, listen. He said, I teach fire safety. Said, I look at your trailer and you have no placards on the side of the trailer. Said, if I if I come up on you on the side of the road and you're upside down in a ditch someplace, I come up there. He said, the first thing I'm going to do is start cutting into your trailer because I don't know if somebody's in there or, or what. He said, now all of a sudden he said I open up the side and I find out there's fuel in there. He said, wait a minute. He said, if I pull up on that same rig and you're upside down in a ditch, he says, and I see placards on the side of your trailer. The first thing I'm doing is calling hazmat. He said, so it's kind of a safety issue, too. But like I said to him, too, I, I said, I don't know. I said, I always look at placards as, as, a, as a bullseye. And he said, I said I understand. He said, but just look at it from our point of view also. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and to your point, like, I think each of you would answer this the same way that I would. Like, whether or not they have a right to, quote, unquote, search your trailer, I have to think that the the best course of action is typically to be civil and honest and cooperative. Would you guys agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, the less resistance you give the um, most of the time, the less resistance they're going to give you. And you know, the situation, if you can keep it friendly, even if you have done something wrong, I think all of us, you know, once you're over 30 or 40 years old, you've been pulled over enough times that if you keep it very polite and professional, they're going to keep it that way. And, even if you did something wrong, sometimes they're going to let you go because they know you're being respected in what they did. Right. No, and I guess the the takeaway here, like you guys have, have at least alluded to in some respects what you've done or what you're doing personally to get as much on the right side of the law as possible. But I guess the question for our listeners is, let's say, let's go down the line for a couple of different setups, and I'll let you guys take this individually. Like, what would you suggest? you know, kind of, and John, like you said, like there's no step-by-step protocol, but what would your suggestions be like, A, for a racer with a, a dually in an enclosed trailer, B, motorhome of some sort in a trailer, and then C, like a, a toter in a stacker, like both of you guys are towing with. I'll let, let John go first. Well, I think it gets back to get a CDL. Uh, you know, whether you have a toter like what we drive versus a, a crew cab and a, a 30-foot tag trailer, if the trailer is registered, if the trailer GBW, not necessarily what it's registered for, but if the trailer tag on the side of the trailer, the VIN tag, is has a, a GBW of over 10,000 pounds, you need a CDL. And like I said, I mean, I, I still believe that having a CDL gives you a little bit of, might give you a little bit of leeway. Joe? Yeah, and I, I agree. You can never, it's like being overprepared for something. You can never be overprepared. So if you have that CDL, maybe that is the feather on the teeter of the scale that goes your way then. But the dually in the trailer, 
honestly, because so many people do do work with them, that that has, from my personal experience with all the people I deal with, that is the first thing that gets tagged, pulled over, hard time, scales, whatever you want to call it. The second situation is the motorhomes and the trailers. We don't have a lot of, I, I, you know, again, I've been racing my whole life. We deal with racers every day. I don't even have a lot of stories I've even heard about those situations. And the same thing comes back with the toters. You know, like John made a great point of, you know, in the social media world, when one person, we're in such a small group of people with this drag racing world, if one person has something good or bad happen to them on a, on a very high level, the whole world knows about it quickly. Versus thinking about the fact that literally there's tens of thousands of racers traveling almost every weekend, especially in the summer months, and one might get pulled over. I mean, and then honestly, that one person that got pulled over usually is let go or warned or, you know, given a small ticket. So again, we go back to mud. And I think in all of our lives, everything we do can be legal or illegal on some situations. So I think from my personal experience, I think the racers are the most prepared people anyways, they are checking their brakes, they're checking their axles, they're they're making sure their vehicle is safe to go down the road because they're trying to protect their investment. So obviously I'm going to figure on the racers as being the best people to handle these these race rigs and these situations the best. Sure. So guys, it sounds like the safe approach would be to go to your local DOT facility and get your CDL. So what do you suggest, like if, if I've just got a dually in an enclosed trailer, you know, or can I take that over there and will they let me test in that? Or, you know, and again, it, you guys have talked about a lot of gray area. It may just come down to whoever answers the phone, what answer you get. But what's your thoughts on that? My thought, my thought is you should be able to take the test with whatever you pull up there with. If it's, if, if it's over, if the truck is over 26,000 pounds or the trailer is over 10,000 pounds, you should be able to take the test whether or not. And somebody would do that for you. I mean, that could be another problem. But overall, I think that that's what you should be taking a test in. I guarantee you, if all four of us got off this phone, call our DOT tomorrow. Obviously, John's done more homework with it. I've, I've done quite a bit of homework myself. We actually have a state police uh, and DOT inspection about eight miles from our shop. So every one of us is going to get a different answer. And and again, I don't know how we do this, you know, how do you get anything passed through law or how do you get any answer of, of this magnitude written in black and white, but it would just be great if somehow, somewhere there could be something black and white. So we would, wouldn't even have to have this discussion or, or this conversation. I know, again, 99.9% of us would have no problem doing this. There's a little bit more money, but maybe the answer is to get the CDL. I, I just truly don't know that there's a good answer one way or the other, to be honest. No, I, I agree. I think Joe's exactly right. It, you know, it's, there is, you know, so, we, had a, you know we had a seminar at the PRI show and the officer who was there, a very nice guy, and I've dealt with him before. He's been in seminars with us. You know, he made mention of the fact that it's not a gray area, that it's totally black and white. Uh, but I just, I have to disagree with him. And I just, I, I think it's just as clear as blood, as I've said a million times. So you guys are talking um, a real time right now where we're at on this subject. But ultimately, for the long term, what do you think comes of it? You know, where do you see it going for the racing community? I personally see at some point we either the RV industry itself will get in there or or the trucks, the horse people, the race people, the whatever groups are going to get together and finally say, hey, just give us something that's black and white to help us all. But 
again, with our society, with the way the government is, how do you get a nationwide law passed easily? <laughs> it's about impossible. On some that some people or even politicians will say is not an issue. It just, again, that comes back to the question, hey, do you think this is illegal or this is unsafe? Well, I'll have them come to my lot and drive one of the toters like like we all drive or most of us drive now with the 40 or 45 foot and a trailer behind it. And then I'll have them drive a pickup truck and a little 18 foot open trailer. And you tell me which one's safer at 60, 65 miles an hour. Yeah, Joe, Joe's absolutely right. I mean, I remember the first time I bought my first truck. It, when I drove it and I came out of a motorhome, when I first drove that first truck, it was like, wow, this is the way to drive something. And I've driven motorhomes, <laughs> you know, over the years. And, you know, a, a good friend of mine, uh, he passed away uh, not too long ago. But in any event, he, when I got my first motorhome, I called him up because he had been in motorhomes for a while. And he said that I said to him, he said, man, it just seems like it's all over the road. I said, what, you know, is there something I'm doing wrong? And he said to me, he said, I'll give you one piece of advice when you're driving the motor home. I said, what's that? He said, don't look in the mirror. The Toter home, the, the conversion trucks, they are by far the, the, the safest thing to drive with. Yeah, I'll, I'll second or, or, or third that in our area. And I know it's nothing compared to our what our West Coast listeners uh, are deal with or, or those of you in the uh, is that West Virginia and Carolinas. But in, in our area, it's Mont Eagle is the is the biggest downhill grade that we deal with on a regular basis. And I've been over that in a dually and a living quarters trailer. And I've lived to tell about it. <laughs> but it's not something that I would recommend. It's not fun. And, it, and I'm just telling you, if if somebody crashes in front of me, I'm hitting them. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. You're not stopping that rig. And now, having gone over something similar, or when I went to Salt Lake City last year, coming off of that mountain down into Salt Lake, for those of you on that side of the world, like, that's for real. But with a, a truck like that, you just... Put it in a, a lower gear. You put the engine brake on, and you eat a sandwich while you're going down. It, it is. Those of you that have never driven anything like that, it, they're absolutely right. But we have kept you guys longer than we anticipated and long enough. Thank you so much for your input. One last thing for each of you. We'll take Joe first. Joe, where can our listeners find you and contact you and get in touch with Racing RVs? My phone number is all over the place, so you can always look for me direct, but RacingRVs.com or RacingRVs on Facebook. We'll try and help anybody with these questions. As Luke knows, being around us for all these years, that we're not necessarily just trying to sell somebody something. We're, we're trying to help them. And, you know, if I had a black and white answer, believe me, I wish I could tell everybody so we could all rest easy. But we're going to help you the best we can in all these situations. And John, I would imagine any of our listeners that are not familiar with you and your work are living under a rock somewhere. But just in case, where, what's the easiest way to find you and your work? Well, I mean, dragracingedge.com, www.dragracingedge.com. And, and that's our online presence. We also have a, a printed magazine, which we do bi-monthly. It comes out six times a year, bi-monthly, um, that you can subscribe to. And I, I hope people would subscribe to i really need that but they can also get in touch with me they could send me an email it's john d j-o-h-n-d at dragracingedge.com awesome thanks again guys for coming on the show and and while i, I led into this saying that nobody's got all the answers hopefully at least we cleared up some things and, and gave our listeners a little bit better perspective of what we're dealing with here thank you very much thanks a lot guys yeah we appreciate thank you guys it. very much thank you.
He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Secret Performance Who's Hot. Secret Performance is ready to tackle any of your engine building needs, whether big or small. If you mention the podcast, you will receive 10% off of your labor through February the 1st. Learn more about what the guys at Secret Performance can do for you by calling 785-286-6813. And don't forget to mention the podcast. Big Jed, as you might assume, there is not a lot going on in the world of sports and drag racing in mid-January. I think I saw a forecast like there's supposed to be snow on the ground where you live. There is snow on the ground where I live. There's almost certainly snow on the ground where Mark lives. Not a lot of racing going on. But it is a hot time of year for some of the practice tree competitions that, we've, as we've discussed on a, on a former or previous episode, have, are getting more popular seemingly by the day. I, one of the biggest ones of the season happened last weekend. Yeah, down here in Alabama, Brad Plourd had his practice tree event that he's been having uh, for a few years now. I think just five or so of them. And, were were uh, Jed and JJ in attendance? We were. We were there, and both of us uh, had plenty of entries and plenty of shots, and both of us were uh, headed back to Colburg by the end of the fifth round, so it didn't go very well. But a great turnout for Brad. Uh, had a really good time. It was $10,000 to win, guaranteed. Had a million-dollar shootout. But um, our who's hot uh, in the, the first position, we'll have a we'll talk about a couple of guys, but Chris Cadle come out as the victor over Brody Quick. So Chris, since he was the biggest winner here right here in the middle of January, a $10,000 win off the practice tree is going to get the Seabrook Performance Who's Hot Award. While I believe uh, you, Luke, mentioned uh, Doug Foley also had a, sound like he had a heck of a weekend at the practice tree event. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I'm not particularly prepared. I don't know where the event was or what the event was, but I saw a picture of Doug holding a bunch of checks. I think in three races, he had two wins and a runner-up. And I'll brag on him a little bit. He's a member of This Is Bracket Racing Elite, and we kind of beat the practice tree over the head of our members. So it's good to see ones have that payoff. But to your point, Cadel, on getting this week's Who's Hot, I know we've discussed Chris on the show before, what late last summer, after he was runner-up at the 50 Grander in uh, Stanton, Michigan, and then came to our race, the exclusive 150 at I-57, and he didn't win one of the main events, but he won the second chance race, and just put on a clinic all weekend doing it. I know we sung his praises there, or following that, because we watched him from the tower just be, if he staged, he was double O, and and this just kind of reinforces the fact, Chris Cadle. Black and Decker, tree wrecker. <laughs> yeah, Chris, uh, he's a tremendous talent behind the wheel, but he showed that uh, he's got the concentration to sit in a group full of people talking, chatting, whatever else they were doing, and uh, still show the focus necessary to get it done. He was hitting it really good. He cracked me along the way and um, made a lot of good uh, hits at the tree. So congratulations, Chris Cadle. Well-deserved there, and Doug Foley uh, for their performances and um good way to start off their year, although it wasn't on the racetrack, Luke. Yeah, no question. Big Jed, 
the year 2018 has more big dollar bracket events than ever and those events feature bigger purses than ever more racers than ever will win life-changing money and be lauded by the sportsman drag racing community this podcast um in 2018 the opportunities presented to the big dollar bracket racer whether touring or regional this season are unprecedented what does that mean Um, It means that it's time to take advantage of the opportunity by turning over every rock that you can. Pay attention to every detail. And that's what This Is Bracket Racing Elite is all about. Look, if you've entered some of these events, you're serious about racing and you're pretty dang good at it. You don't need a 180 degree turnaround in your racing. But a simple one degree, two degree course correction could make all the difference and give you the edge that could prove to be worth thousands of dollars. This is Bracket Racing Elite can provide that. We've done so for hundreds of racers just like you. Learn more by visiting thisisbracketracing.com. Yeah, look, even Tom Brady goes to practice every day. Guys, if it's time to upgrade your support equipment, be it trailer or RV, check out racingrvs.com or give Joe Fisher a call at 419-236-1328. Why racing RVs? Well, for one, they support sportsman drag racing like no other. Racing RVs is the presenting sponsor of the NHRA's top dragster and top sportsman categories. They're heavily involved in all of the SFG events. Uh, They sponsor a number of successful sportsman racers. And, uh, of course, they presented nearly every episode of this podcast. But what can racing RVs do for you? Well, they got quality coaches and trailers at fair prices. You can get them new or used, trade-ins, financing, consignment, nationwide delivery. No matter your need, Racing RVs should be your first phone call. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Honey. Where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's What's on Tap! The AHRA is offering a $10,000 bounty at the NHRA Winter Nationals if a member wins Super Gas without the aid of electronics. Yes, without electronics. The more memberships they have at the AHRA, the more frequent and larger the bounties and performance-based payouts are going to be. Keep up with them at www.ahraonline.com or look for them on Facebook. Our longtime listeners know that within this segment, in addition to previewing upcoming races, which this time of year are not many, 
We also shed a light on recent announcements pertaining to races that are coming up. We've got a few of those this week. We also use this space to provide a little bit of news about the show itself, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And the biggest news that we have this week as it pertains to the show is that the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is now available on Spotify. So if you are a Spotify listener, you can look us up there and get this podcast for free, just like you can on all of the other venues that the podcast is readily available, including Apple Podcasts, including Stitcher, including Google Play, and of course, our Libsyn direct feed. But wanted to let everybody know we are on Spotify. Shout out to RJ for getting that set up for us. Yeah, absolutely, Luke. I want to talk about a couple of events. First, the 8th Annual JEG Summer Door Car Shootout, the date has been released. That's an event that uh, obviously you're very close to there at I-57 Drag Strip. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we uh, actually just got done meeting with Scott and Leanne, doing our uh, annual sit-down, getting everything in line. And we will be back for the 8th Annual JEG Summer Door Car Shootout at I-57 Drag Strip, as always. This year's date will be July 20th through the 22nd. Basically the same format as years past. We are working to finalize some sponsorship and giveaway details and hope to have a detailed flyer out by, I don't know, sometime in March, hopefully. We'll we'll say March 1st. That may put my feet to the fire there a little bit. We'll have a complete flyer there. But for all racers that have been in the past and or are looking to get entered in the biggest little door car race in the Midwest in 2018, you can mark your calendars. It will happen July 20th through the 22nd. That'll be a great time. Uh, obviously, had a, a bad experience there last year with the with the little fender bender. Nothing to do with the track or the facility. It was all on me and my hot rod. But uh, hope to be able to make it back up for that one. That's always a, a great race up there, Luke. And the other race we want to talk about is uh, Galen Rollison's Savage Performance Foot Brake 150. A lot of foot brake racers will know this as the Foot Brake 150 Plus 50. Put it out last year. Started getting a lot of attention on the 150 entry limit and he expanded that to 200 but this year galen is trying to to do something pretty special and uh, have 150 single entered racers in the foot brake 150 now this is an event pays fifteen thousand dollars to win times two in the main events obviously the foot brake 150 is 150 entry max event and galen's got about 20 spots left Need to get that thing up. New foot breakers need to step up and support this event. It's going to happen right here to start your year off March 23rd through the 25th at Gulfport Dragway, which is a, a great facility there in South Mississippi. So we want Galen to, to be able to get that race full and the foot breakers have a great time. Same driver can have, I mean, same car can have two drivers, but it is single entry. So you can only have one entry. But again, guys can split a car if uh, if it helps you with the tow or what have you. Um, there's five additional gamblers races available. February 1st, all spots will open up to second entries for racers pre-registered. So if you pre-entered the event and Galen can't get those last 20 or so to fill up the 150, he's going to open it up for people that are already in the event to get a second entry. So guys will be watching that if you're already set up and ready to go to the footbrake 150. Last year's winners were uh, Cody Barnhart and Lucas Walker. So those guys got the inaugural event wins. And I'm looking for somebody else to put their name in the history books there, the Footbreak 150. Again, great facility. Got casinos, 
nice restaurants just minutes away from the facility. <laughs> Galen, Galen put some more notes in there, but that I won't read. <laughs> but our great friends at BTE are uh, presenting a uh, best package benefit challenge. A hundred percent of the profits go to a memorial Memorial Hospital breast imaging foundation to help women get breast screenings that can't afford them which is a great cause and the winner gets top sportsman transmission from the great folks at bte so galen's got lots of cash to give away he's got a unique event he's got a great facility the weather will be really nice in south mississippi down by the beach in um, late march and prizes to go along with it it's a really cool event and uh, it's got 20 spots left for people to sign up and get an opportunity to compete in a single entry event, which is really cool. So guys, go support him. Look him up, Galen Rollison, get signed up. It only takes $100 to get your name on the list and get you a single entry. So let's try to fill that up with 150 unique entries and uh, let Galen have a show you a great time down there in South Mississippi, March 23rd through the 25th. Yeah, I love that format, Big Jed. It's a little bit early in the year for my Vega project. Hopefully, March 2019, I can make my Footbreak 150 debut. Oh, man. I'd like to see that. You ain't the only one. All right, guys. That wraps up this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Definitely want to thank our sponsor, Siebert Performance. This is Bracket Racing Elite, Racing RVs, and the AHRA. I want to thank uh, Joe Fisher and John DiBartolomeo. Uh, those guys provided us excellent insight into the new CDL laws, uh, so we're very appreciative of having them on. And uh, we want you, the listener, to be sure to tell us what you think. Message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Or you can find us, both Luke and I, on Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. I was in my truck. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again. 
on December the 8th.